Too Long Didn't Read, the weekly podcast from the Alan Turing Institute, the National Institute for Data Science and AI. Hello and welcome to Too Long Didn't Read, where we look at some of the most interesting and impactful stories in data science and artificial intelligence from the past week. We read so you don't have to. I'm Luca and I'll be taking over Jonah's spot whilst he's at the East Anglian coast getting crabs. I'm the digital media coordinator here at the Turing. Namaskara, my name is Smera Jayadeva and I am DJ Jeff or a research assistant in data justice and global ethical futures. Excellent, excellent name. So already episode three, did you expect to lose Jonah so soon? I think he needed to be sent away for a bit to really think about those jokes that he was making. But I'm really excited to be hosting here with you today. How do you feel about replacing a figure who has somehow charmed all of my friends and family within just two 20-minute episodes? Feels like incredibly huge shoes to fill. I'm hoping to impress his loyal follower. Thank you. We have we have at least a few. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Smira, I don't know about you, but the morning after a heavy night out is usually already quite a delicate time of day, especially when you have to flick through all the really great pictures you took through the night, only to find they're not actually so great. This is where the new Google Pixel 8 phone comes in. With its latest tech called Best Take, it'll include a new face-changing AI that will automatically alter your facial expressions to suit what you're going for best. Now, we've seen similar technology in apps like Facetune and FaceApp, but this time it's already built into your camera, cutting the middleman completely out of the picture. Of course, this is sparking huge controversy, with many concerned of its potential online safety risks and security breaches. What do we think? Yeah, look, you're right. There's a huge cause for concern over here. Think about it this way. If you can imagine your face with a new nose or a different eye color, you can imagine how this can contribute to body dysmorphia, especially with beauty and body trends changing week on week, with more people conscious about what they think are imperfections. But have you never had a picture that you thought could look a lot better? I can imagine a lot of them where I hope I'd look less drunk, maybe less glazy eyed. But of course, there's there are good uses of it. I mean, I can imagine, you know, for individuals who want to see their body in a different form itself, especially within the trans community, where this could actually help a lot of individuals overcome dysmorphia. But at the same time, we have to look at whether this is being rolled out in a reasonable way. How does it generate so accurately? So these kind of models extract features from pictures and manipulate the pixels to achieve the desired outcome. So you can probably put an input of, I want to see myself smiling, I want to see a straighter nose and the model is going to interact with this information and try to manipulate the pixels to achieve that. And this has evolved from early machine learning models that had to classify images to now using the training data and different algorithmic techniques to generate those morphed or manipulated images. It's certainly contributing to a growing lack of trust around generative AI, accepting that no photos are truly genuine will become second nature to us. Definitely. And the truth is exactly what I want to get at in this episode. There are many instances of face morphing being used in the past, uh, particularly to show people in a negative light. For instance, there were protests against the Wrestling Federation Chief of India, Bridge Bhushan Singh after allegations of sexual harassment, but in the morphed versions which were circulated on X or Twitter, 
The protesters were seen smiling. These photos then spread like wildfire with many online claiming the protests were staged. And this is always done in an effort to discredit and reject the allegations made by these internationally placed athletes. We can see through this one instance how the, the truth is essentially buried away by multiple layers and how what kind of effect it's going to have on different events that take place across the world and how it can affect the narrative and how it can affect the truth and the cause that people fight for. I guess in general terms, it could be a really good, useful tool when you're doing it for yourself and it's pleasure side of it. But in actual fact, it could be used to manipulate anything around you or anyone around you. And that could lead to massive real world issues. Definitely. And I think that's a really good summation of it. So, you know, in the near future, can we expect to see any regulations set for this sort of technology? Definitely. I think should companies not want to embark down this journey, then we would have to look at governments and what they can do to label these generated or manipulated images. It would be a good way of not only informing the public who are using this, that this is artificially generated, that there is that instance of manipulation involved in it, but maybe it can contribute to mitigating the issues of false information, disinformation, as I mentioned in my previous episodes, which can affect the way public interacts with these images and use it as a tool to oppress rather than empower. Speaking of regulations in major AI news headlines, we're getting close to the AI Safety Summit. Being hosted in Bletchley Park, the grounds of Alan Turing's work himself, we'll see the world leaders and tech industry giants come together to discuss what needs to be done about AI regulation. I guess the most important question here, Smira, what does Rishi hope to get out of this meeting? There's been a lot of talk and buzz around AI, especially in the last few months. I mean, come on, that's the reason why we have this podcast, right? And the UK has been leading this AI innovation age, so to say, alongside the US, the European Union and China. And I think the the government right now is using the summit to engage in dialogue on safety, especially with developers, other stakeholders and states itself. And they're hoping to maybe go look into, say, investments in AI for good and the amount of uh, positives that might mean for the people, as well as the investments and the um, economic externalities that might come from it, as well as the more harmful impacts that might arise from the use of AI as well, which is why I think the UK is looking at setting up an AI advisory body or a global AI research body. I've come across some mentions of it in the recent report on capabilities and risk. They also mention existential risks. What are these existential risks and how likely are we to see them materialise and when? Existential risks are those that can cause permanent destruction or even the extinction of the human race. Um, Some people like to say that this is earth originating intelligent life in place of human race. But I think we as humans ourselves have contributed to the extinction of numerous animal species, which I personally think constitute intelligent life. But that's by the way. So these are essentially meant to be risks that can cause harm to the planet and to the people who inhabit it. In terms of when this is going to take place, they are speculative and it would be misleading to say we have any real idea. Some believe it may not even be the case that we have that AI poses an existential risk. We shouldn't be worried about Terminator then. There's there's a couple more things going on in the world that are a bit more important. Yes, definitely. These real threats are what we should be looking at because 
AI builds on existing fault lines. It essentially augments this inequality. For instance, there is a report on AI in healthcare, which is very well titled, Does AI Stand for Augmenting Inequality? And the paper looked into the many ways AI can be introduced into the medical ecosystem and the different areas where bias can play a role, where discrimination can play a role. And I know I mentioned this in earlier episodes as well. These fault lines in society need to be given more concentrated action, like improved local governance, community-centered politics, inclusivity, and dialogue with stakeholders, impacted communities, and not just look at a clunky piece of tech being the answer to everything. It's nothing more than a band-aid, and it's not really fixing anything if the system is just profusely bleeding. Nice. Yeah, that really clears up the subject, Smira. The report also mentioned cyber threats in AI development. In news relating to this, we're seeing potential increases in cyber attacks online. Now, going back to the AI summit, do you reckon we're going to have talks in place to discuss about regulating these things? Yes, definitely. And these cyber risks and capabilities are also mentioned in the report uh, released by the UK government. For instance, in terms of cyber threats, there have been multiple reports and studies that have found that phishing, spear phishing, malware and other such cyber threat campaigns and content can be improved using generative AI. Using such tools, it'll take up less time, so less labor effort, as well as some studies saying that the content being produced can also be more convincing. So the government report has also looked into how foundation models of frontier AI as well can be used to enhance other such attack techniques and gather more information, improve other capabilities to exploit vulnerable groups and target audiences. But at the same time, they've also highlighted in the report how cyber defense can use foundation models and generative AI. They have seen whether it can be used in anomaly detection, security scanning and mitigating insider threats. These are activities that take up a lot of labor and can reduce the burden that government faces to fix such vulnerabilities and detect anomalies on a regular basis. Nice. So there's a lot to unpack on this subject and we're going to be following developments, keeping you informed of any updates over the coming weeks of the Safety Summit and the fringe events taking place around it. There's a lot to look forward to. While the summit itself is invite only, there's a lot to look forward to. There are events for everyone who is interested. This is the AI Fringe events, and you can find out more at AIfringe.org. And if I can shamelessly plug an event that I'm going to be taking part in, AI at a Turning Point, How Can We Create Equitable AI Governance Futures? It's being hosted alongside Queen Mary Institute in partnership with the Alan Turing Institute, the All-Party Parliamentary Group on AI and the Big Innovation Center. Very specifically, we're going to be launching the National AI Ethics and Governance in Practice Program, which is a series of workbooks that can help public sector individuals as well as interested parties to better improve their methods of inculcating ethical practice into their AI project lifecycle. So I look forward to hopefully seeing some of our listeners and maybe interacting with them. And you can find out more on the Eventbrite page. Moving swiftly into the AI assistant world, ChatGPT has inserted itself into postmodern life by becoming a crucial tool when it comes to our everyday lives. However, would this be considered a worldwide opinion? That's likely not the case. When in English, there's specifics on questions being asked or localised words being used. Think sneaker, US, trainer, UK, and even jogger, 
Australia. For other languages, there's much less effort going in. Samira, if ChatGPT used the word jogger instead of trainer in an answer, would you be as confused as me? I have literally never heard that in my life before. Would you say it's something that will get fixed over time or will it be something that will just continue to be an obstacle that never gets resolved? Yes, this can be fixed over time if OpenAI and other such platforms take the time, money and effort to invest into indigenous languages as well as non-English languages where they can build up a data set that accounts for the nuances in those languages, slang words and translations that might take place when an individual interacts with ChatGPT in the English or the Latin script despite the language having their own script. Okay, but how does translation actually work with AI? Are there professionals sitting in a room somewhere manually translating words to add to the engine? If we take OpenAI's Whisper, a speech recognition model trained on 680,000 hours of audio taken from the web, there's not a lot of transparency on how they got their data. There are ideas that it used FLURS or F-L-E-U-R-S, a data set which has 2009 sentences translated into different languages. There's still not a lot of transparency. A paper found that a company called Lionbridge was soliciting people to read phrases in indigenous languages under the claims of trying to preserve those languages. They sent out emails to language departments in numerous universities offering to pay 40 to $50 for their work in translating and recording some of these audio clips. You can say that they have reached out to linguists, but it's hard to really know exactly how qualified those speakers are to be giving their input into these languages. Translation with these multilingual AI models uses probability theory and assigns different probability scores. And this is always down to the vast amounts of data that they use to train the model and as well as test the model. In these instances, they also scrape the web for different words and phrases, which is all well and good when it's in English, which is seen as a more dominant language. But when it comes to non-English languages, there is a dearth of interaction and recorded data. Thus, we have the first problem of low or poor quality data. Second, there's not a lot of transparency on the data that is used in these multilingual models such as OpenAI's Whisper. If they are in fact reaching out to speakers of these languages, are these speakers fluent? Are they from the area? Does the project team account for nuances in language, say differences in European Spanish versus South American or Latin American Spanish? And very importantly, is there enough input from speakers of this language to capture the nuances and depth of of the language itself. Finally, this does raise the question of ethics and the role that colonization has played in rewriting the languages and cultures of a lot of places. For example, we largely say New Zealand for the islands instead of the traditional Maori word Aotearoa. So if a model is asked, where is Aotearoa? Is it going to understand it? Is it going to know where it is? And this always goes back to the indigenous people of the island and the Maori and what input they had in their language being used for these models. They see their language as a gift and there are a lot of resources online where you can learn more about this. So for instance, Tehiku Media don't release any product, service or model that hasn't been vetted and quality assured by Maori language and data experts, which is a good direction that a lot of companies need to think about if they want to make sure the languages that they use in their models are reflective of their communities and are, and are developed with the consent of the communities itself. 
if there's no professional translator, aren't we going to see loads of mistakes, particularly for people speaking in other languages? Yes, it's very important for us to have external translators who are very skilled at their jobs to oversee the final product and note if there are any issues and make sure that there is quality controls in place and that the final product can be consumed by the market without it leading to misleading information or confusion or worse, disrespecting the language and the culture of other people. Do you reckon this is going to be covered anywhere in AI safety regulations? I think it ought to be. And the European Union are trying to improve the EU AI Act to ensure that it covers aspects such as this. They've already directed companies like Google to watermark and label their images if it is generated, if it includes generated contact. And I think that's an important first step, as I mentioned earlier in the segment as well. Finally, on a more positive note, artists are taking the charge against companies using their content with generative AI. What's there more to say about using this tool, Smira? So artists can use the Nightshade tool to attach a poison to their work. Essentially, when a model in training interacts with the work of an artist who uses this tool, the poison will corrupt and confuse the model, so it will quite literally be unable to read the art. So if the model had to classify and read an image of a pumpkin spice latte, the poison works to instead output as a trainer. It's definitely a massive win for the creative world and definitely something I didn't expect to see for a long time. Maybe we're close to seeing a revolt. That's it for the week. We read so you don't have to. We've learned that whilst fun and in some cases useful, face tuning apps may actually have devastating effects when it's in the wrong hands. Big potential changes are coming very soon to how AI is being controlled around the world. ChatGPT might not be as clever as we thought, and it's not all doom and gloom when it comes to the ever-developing artificial intelligence superiority. Check the show notes for any links to resources used in this episode. Big thank you to Smira for giving huge insight into today's recording. And thank you to Jesse for helping with all the behind the scenes work. And a big thank you to Luca for stepping in and taking over Jonah's place today. I think you've done an incredible job and hopefully I see you in more episodes. Thank you. Maybe I'll be here next week or the week after. Who actually knows? Visit our Instagram, which is at TuringInst. You can drop us a DM there for any questions or you can send us an email at podcast at turing.ac.uk. Posting these episodes weekly, so please do keep listening, sharing and questioning. Hopefully I'll join you for another episode in the future. Bye for now.